0: On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses the final Fish album, Weltschmerz. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran and Ken Gregory, as we finally finish out the Fish Catalog with Weltschmerz.
1: I already said you guys drove me nuts. You had me, me with the mediocre Fish Catalog all spring and beginning in the summer. And then we get to the most amazing album that I love, and you give me like a week to get my thoughts together.
2: When you're saying mediocre, are you confusing that with Merlian.com?
1: <laughs> I well, deserve that.
0: <laughs> Can I forget I, I just I I don't remember anything, so it's really not a big surprise, but were you with us during the
1: rain gods and Fellini days cycle? Yeah, I jumped in for the albums that I was familiar with and All that right. I loved the most and that I could Yeah. I and did I did my best for some of those. Okay, but you still don't consider those to be
0: as worthy as as what we're talking about tonight?
1: Well, Fellini has some really amazing moments. Really uh, does. Yeah. It's just that this one is special. And this one really does the trick.
0: For me, this album was very much a slow burn. I bought this album when it came out, listened to it a couple times, and... Honestly, I have been sort of waiting in the wings and expecting to come on to this episode and just poo-poo the whole thing. I'm happy to say that that's not what I'm going to do in any way, shape, or form at this point. Because once this thing sort of, once I figured it out, I was just, I was stunned. And what was amazing, as I went through this, and, and, you know... It's a long album. It's, what, 84 minutes or something like that? There's a lot on there, and inevitably there are going to be a couple of songs that initially you maybe you don't get or you don't think about, and you'd be like, oh, this is songs coming up, whatever. Every time, like when I started to really focus and get into it and, and read the lyrics, those songs that I thought were disposable turned out to be exceptionally moving. I'm really, really excited to, to talk about this record now. And it's very funny. I don't... I think one other time on The Palaver we've done this, and it wasn't during a regular episode. But this is an album that does not have a Wikipedia page.
1: I love it. I love
0: it. Now, the term Veldschmerz does have a Wikipedia page, but the album by Fish does not. So we've... uh I, like I said I don't know that we've done that and of course I think we have to cover our bases and say that you know the the dictionary definition of weltschmerz for those who don't know and I you know there may be someone it's a it's a german word and it means a feeling of melancholy and world weariness it uh, directly translates to world pain
2: well you know what's interesting is that we did comment last week that the Feast of Consequences wiki page was very light. Exceptionally. Um, so I guess it doesn't surprise me. Well, it, it still does surprise me. I mean, that there's no... yeah, there's, there's nothing.
0: There's none. Yeah. none. Right. I, I, and it's been a year. You figured someone would have put it in there. But they didn't. So I have no no wiki page to go for our particulars, but we have enough information that we can do what we normally do. And... Ken, perhaps you'd like to maybe walk us through the the five years between A Feast of Consequences and Weltschmertz.
1: Five years? Looks like seven to me. From 2013 to okay. 2020. Goodness gracious. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. I was looking at Fish's website and the page for this. And he says, it's been over five years since I first came up with the title. Right. I thought it was five years since a feast of consequences. My apologies, Ken.
1: And I love that. He's a a, a genius, savant. He's a fortune teller. He he's predicted uh COVID. You know, he, he 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 was he was speaking in those terms before it hit us in mass. I really like the fact that he's doing such a melancholy album that I love because I've accused this man of, of forcing us to wallow in his own poop. And and yet yet I've, I've reached that point like you guys where no, 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 no. It's, it's not a problem. It's, it's his art. It's, it's, it's the vehicle by which he expresses himself. I looked at the timeline of progressive rock, not for the entire seven years, but just for the time leading up to it. What, what possibly could Fish have been, uh, listening to? And there's just a lot on here that we have already covered. And a lot that we have not covered. It's just a- a- amazing how off the grid we are, off of the record labels we are, just how independent we are. I'm looking at names, of course, like uh, S- Spock's Beard and Haken and Fate's Warning. Fido is uh, a-, a band that uh, I saw at Proc stock Pineapple Thief, Soft Machine, Riverside. Coheed and Canberra making the Prague circles. Glass Hammer. Let me see here. Neil Morris Band, Steve Hackett. Dream Theater. Oh, Queensryche with a verdict in March 2019. Nice. Uh, still making the Prague charts according to the random editors of Wikipedia. Uh, a Little Ditty by John Anderson. Thousand Hands. A <laughs> <might be> <laughs> Little movie. Ditty. Yeah. We got Jordan Rudis solo, Alan Parsons, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I love to say it and I love to listen to it. Big, big train makes me all warm and fuzzy all over. Neil Morse, thank you, scientist. Magma Tool did fear inoculum in August of 2019. Oh, we got Marco Miniman. We got IQ. We got Opeth, Steve Hal Trio, New Frontier. Flying Colors, Hawkwind, Leprous. I spoke of Leprous in a recent episode. The Flower Kings, Waiting for Miracle 2019. And so what possibly from that did fish care to listen to? Who the hell knows? Who the hell cares? Um, January 2020, Sons of Apollo, uh, Nectar, Pendragon, Pat Metheny made the uh, made the progress list. I wonder who did that. It's that's, that's interesting. Uh, and let me see if this album. Oh, we got Frost on here. Rick Wakeman's Red Planet in June. But but this was released. Uh, when was it? September. September. So, OK. Oh, my God. Kansas, The Absence of present. It's just amazing how many people are like releasing stuff during the pandemic. Yeah, I remember Steve Howe released "Love Is" during the pandemic. John Petrucci did some solo stuff in August. Timbo Ness, friend of Stephen Wilson, "Late Night Laments," August twenty twenty. Mastodon, Derek Sherinian, Fish, Welt's merch the twenty fifth of September twenty twenty. What an interesting time to be alive, indeed.
0: So, if we look at the particulars of this record such as they are as you mentioned Ken it was released on 25th of September 2020 I have absolutely no idea what label it was actually released on whatever fish is releasing under these days it was produced by Callum Malcolm It has what is now a relatively standard cast of characters with a couple surprises. We have Fish on vocals. We have Steve Vance's doing everything. Robin Bolt on uh, guitars. John Mitchell on guitars. Liam Holmes on keys of various nature, as well as uh, Foss Patterson shows up a couple times. Craig Blundell. He of Stephen Wilson and um, Porcupine Tree fame, as well as... Fascinating, yes. Where else have we seen Craig Blundell? He, he played with Steve Everywhere. Hackett. Everywhere. Yeah, he played with Steve Hackett. I mean, if you want to do a, you know, a prog Adam album... Adam Holtzman. Yeah, you want to play a, you do a prog album, you got to call Craig Blundell. We have um, Dave Stewart, Liam Bradley on percussion, Doris Brendel on backing vocals, and David Jackson on saxophone. Veltschmerz was released as a two-CD set. CD 1 contains Grace of God, Man with a Stick, Walking on Eggshells, This Party's Over, and Rose of Damascus. CD 2 includes Garden of Remembrance, Sea Song, The Trondheim Waltz, Little Man What Now, Waverly Steps, or End of the Line, and
1: Veltschmerz. I've seen... Craig Blundell twice now, once with Stephen Wilson and once with Steve Hackett. And he is an athletic performance.
0: I wish I had seen Steve Hackett, not just because of Craig Blundell, but that would have been nice as well. You know, it's, it's great when you find these people that keep showing up in bands and shows that you like. Of course, the real magic of this album
1: is uh, Steve Vance, right?
0: Well, and, 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 and I'm glad you, you said that right out of the gate, Ken, because... You know, as I came to understand this record and appreciate this record, and this is now what, the third or fourth record in a row that Steve Vances has played a significant role, is it fair to say that Steve Vances is the perfect foil for Fish? Whoa. I mean, these guys (laughs) seem to have really figured each other out here, and are creating fantastic music together.
2: Well, well, one of my thoughts, my initial thoughts, I was very nervous to hear this album because I often suffer from my own expectations. And we've talked about this before. I will not like a certain album because I sort of have so many high hopes for it or certain expectations. So I, I really try not to think about it. What right before this album came out, because I love peace of consequences. And that was sort of borderline my favorite fish album. I just don't want to be disappointed for his last album. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to end on, on, on a high note. So even when it first came out, I was sort of hush, hush a bit. You guys were actually talking about it a little more than I was. I just really wanted to have a clean. Point of view. And I was very uh, happy with this album that it was in the same vein. And you touched upon it, guys, with the producer. But with that production, what we have here is a very, and I used this word last week, organic production where we have a lot of acoustics, we have piano, uh, we have um, a lot of the cast of characters with um, women singing, uh, we, we have uh, something that I really love, which is orchestral interludes, like really nice use of horns, a very tasteful way of, of, of putting these together. And it's interesting that there will be this underbelly of electronica, like electric beat that's really soft underneath that's sort of pushing the whole thing you have a nice pulse to it but the acoustic sounds and the orchestra sounds and and the piano and, and all these organic instruments just really have just really give it weight i'm glad that i'm glad for a lot of things about the sound <laughs> but 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 the first <laughs> thing I'm, I'm i'm happy about is that the production is very similar i think to piece of consequences you know we've talked about this a lot i mean you take a, an album like the zippo's we all love the album but it is all over the place and it's just like you know we're going left right fast it's nice that the, these last few albums really had continuity and especially with a, a double album especially with his supposed final album we'll call it the final album because he's calling it a final album there's some real weight to this. I think that's one of the things that you're probably enjoying, Ken, is, is the weight. Well, um, you,
1: yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, Tom, your production standards are high because you're in environments where production standards are high and, and, and your clients hold you to high standards. And you know what it's like to integrate those, what you call those su- subtle beats with live musicians. And they nailed it here. Uh, he he flirted with it and, and got it going. Was it in Fellini Days and a few other albums? But man, this is <laughs> Merlian level of, of kind of percussion genius, mixing all that stuff together.
0: Did you guys get this right away? Or did it take you a little while like it did me? I loved it.
2: Just from the beginning? I have to say, I did like it, but I have to say because I... I felt that in the beginning, it didn't give me the high, quite the highs, the piece of consequences. I was maybe a little disappointed at first, but I still was appreciating, uh, the album. I was still enjoying it. Um, uh, especially I take these long hikes and these, you know, canyons and these beautiful areas. And I would just, you know, pop it in and, and just really enjoy things on a, on a, on a different level. So, I mean, I, I was enjoying it, but I, I have to say I became victim to one of the things that I, I criticize and that is so much work is done on these productions and that even seasoned people like ourselves uh, go out and they, you know, they'll wear earbuds or they'll have, you know, these little Bluetooth things in the house that that they're <laughs> listening to. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I do that myself. And I realized with this album that I, I hadn't really, I'm really embarrassed to say this be honest with you. Uh, I hadn't really listened to this in my studio on on the big speakers until the other night. And I was like, oh my god, this album sounds fucking great! <laughs> and, and I'm like, I've had this for a year! And I did the same thing that I bitch about uh, other people doing. It made me kick myself because I, mean, I I don't know if I change a lot because I like I'm active and I like doing the hikes and so I like having the Earbuds in and, you know, I, I listen while I'm in the kitchen. I mean, there's just different things. I like listening to music all the time. But in all the busyness, I sort of forgot to listen to this just with myself in the studio and appreciate this album because this is a, a really, really nice production. I mean, this may be his best sounding album, whether or not you, you know, like it or not, which I do. But I mean, this is, this is an exceptional album production-wise.
0: It, it's funny, Tom, that you talk yeah. about, you know, having not listened to it in the proper environment because I've been walking around today realizing that I had to confess when I purchased this, whenever exactly I did, I bought both the the normal CD version as well as the LP version. I have never played that LP. I've never listened to this on the big stereo at home either.
1: Do, do cars count? Because I feel like I get just as good sound in my vehicle as I do on speakers at home. It depends. My Lincoln
0: absolutely is it's probably not quite as good as as my home setup, but it's pretty close. My minivan, decidedly not <laughs> <laughs> although my minivan does have
2: a, a pretty decent
0: sound system. It's not great. It just it's a very noisy vehicle to begin with. So
1: Tom you always drive Jeeps.
2: The Wranglers that i that I have when I was in my twenties were absolutely horrendous for sound because you were getting all the road noise I mean the you, you couldn't hear a, anything a, yeah, a piece of fabric around you um, so it was a disaster as far as uh, you know, listening to anything goes um, but I haven't had a, a wrangler in quite some time so my my grand Cherokee sounds pretty good and i I, I have listened to Baltimore with my in, in my car many times, but it still is nothing like listening to it in my studio with my big JBLs and in a, in a certain environment where you can just really pick everything up and it just has so much weight. So a uh, car system is probably like the second best, and I'm sure you would get a feel for the production with it. Ugh, this this album sounds so good. Ugh.
0: Cool. Do we want to be those guys and... Debate for a short period of time as to whether we think this is actually his last album or not, or as Tom you pointed out, do we just accept it as it is and move on
2: yeah, i mean it, it can't hurt to you know i mean to guess
0: yeah so so percentage wise what's the likelihood that this that fish never makes another music album
2: I don't know maybe sixty five seven percent I think that he will tire. At a certain point, I know he's going to probably do a lot of writing and he's going to spend a lot of time with his garden and his and his nice little setup. And he's going to write maybe a book of poetry. And yeah, I know he has a lot of writing things that he wanted to do. And I think he, he wanted to do more acting. But I think that at a certain point, it really it gets in you. And he spent his whole adult life doing this. He's a guy who loves touring, too. I think at some point he'll do what most artists do. They'll be sitting around one day and go, gosh, I really want to put out another album. And you don't realize that at the time, you know, I'm sure he's not thinking that now, but I think at some point he'll sort of rethink things and we will see something from him at, at some point.
0: Okay. So, so Tom, you have it at a 60 to seventy, sixty-five 65 to 70% likelihood that he will produce another album of music at some point yes kenny g do you have any thoughts on the matter
1: i'm looking at the lyrics for this party's over i'm calling it a day enough of all this bullshit i'll say goodbye to all my would-be friends the wine is drunk my glass is empty i smash the bottle into smithereens well damn it sounds like a 95 percent retired from
0: this avenue so so you're saying five percent chance that he records another album yes okay i think i agree more with tom and, and I say that because think about, there's a there's significant precedent here. How many times have we seen a band say, we will never tour again. And the ten, who? 10 years later, yeah, I mean, the fucking who did it four times. The Eagles did it a bunch of different times. You know, we've, we've seen this sort of thing before. It's not quite the same, but one of the impetuses for the, the name of our podcast, Stephen King, went through the same thing. He had a period early 2000s, I think, where he said, that's it, I'm done. And the guy's probably released 15 books since he said he was not going to write another book. So, ha, ha, ha. you know, I, I just, for someone like Fish, and, and, and I, if this album wasn't so freaking spectacular, You know, you could maybe debate it. But when we were talking about that middle section of Fish's solo career, he was making records not only because he loved to do it, but because he needed to do it. He had to, you know, get his finances in order. He had to make records. He had to tour. There was a lot of, of anguish over how to accomplish that. It seems like at this point, Fish has himself sorted out he has the situation that he wants and needs and so he doesn't have a compu- a a need and to an abject need to record an album and so he can say look i don't want to do this anymore but the fact of the matter is he's really fucking good at this and and if one thing i've learned from this this segment on the fish solo catalog is there's is so much more here than i thought Six months ago, this album being such phenomenal piece of work, top to bottom. I mean, 84 minutes. It's two freaking full discs. And I mean, sure. Could you have squeezed 84 minutes onto a single disc? You probably could have, um, pretty close these days. I think you can get 80 or so minutes, but the point is it's a long album. I don't think there's anything I would cut off of it at this point. So I think I think it's just a matter of time, you know. When he's sitting around and relaxed, and he's going to start having ideas, and he's going to start thinking, and he's going to call up Vances or, or Robin Bolt, or they're going to come over for a barbecue or something, and something's going to happen.
2: I mean, look at you know Evander Holyfield. I mean, he <laughs> was just, he, he was just in a in a about uh, two weeks ago, you know, got knocked out in the first round. Because you know he he's in his late fifties. He still he has boxing in his blood. It's because he loves it. It's I don't know if he really thinks at this point in his career he's going to be the champ again. But he just he just loves being a boxer. It turns out it was a bad decision for him to do so. But so I mean this is definitely in the fish's blood, and I think that he's young enough that he can take some time, write his books, be in a couple movies, and then and he can still come back. I guess we'll just have to wait and see,
0: and uh, if Fish ever decides to, and if we are still gabbing about progressive rock music then, we'll talk about it.
1: If your prediction comes true, they'll be in good company with Motley Crue, uh, Kiss, Ozzy Osbourne, The Who, and Cher. 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 There you go. Didn't uh didn't Celine
0: Dion retire and then before she came back and did her ve- re- Vegas residency?
1: Mm, maybe, maybe.
2: Well well, we can't forget something a little closer to home, uh Toad the Wet Sprocket. Toad the Wet Sprocket,
0: that's true. So, shall we go into it? We've got a lot of music to talk about here, gentlemen. The album opens with Grace of God and you know, the, the, the line from the chorus is, There but for the grace of God go I. Which I just think is a beautiful turn of phrase. I, I love it when people say it. I love it when Fish sings it. I'm literally not, again, trying to bait you, Tom. And I'm not trying to say that this is the case. But the first half of this song... I get very heavy vibes of both Invisible Man by Marillion and late model, well, middle late model Sting. I know that's not your thing. I'm just saying that's what I hear and pick up on. It's, it's, and and they kind of flow in and out of phase with each other. It's very interesting, but it's absolutely beautiful. And I love the way he sort of presents the story here interchanged, in the verses, interchanged with the, with the the chorus, and then we get, you know, that sort of very abrupt shift halfway through, and it goes into this very, very intense part, and you get the, you know, the acoustic and the, the, I don't know if it's brass or keys or both, but I've had problems in the past with the way that Fish has used horns, and again, I don't know if it's actual horns here, I know it is later on, but I love it. Here, I think it's absolutely freaking brilliant. And then you get these sort of vocal trade-offs. So, you, you know, and Ken, I, I, well, both of you guys talked about, you know, sort of the production and all the different things that are going on here. And they kind of come out of the gate with all of that in grace of God. And I just think it's absolutely spectacular. And then you get the sort of little staccato keys over the last chorus, which just cranks it up another notch and, oh, God brilliant
1: Mm.
2: this first song really has the whole enchilada as far as female vocals horn electronica great vintage keyboard sounds orchestral pieces it's really wonderful i wonder if you guys can help me out with something though on on this Uh, actually first let me say i should be lucky joe because with your comparisons because this time last week you have already mentioned Guns N' Roses on the first song. so Which I'd um, like, to, know, I'd I, like to point out. It's probably a step up. Yeah, I, I, it, it just, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to point and, out. And, I, actually a step up, so. I, I
0: didn't receive any late-night angry phone calls, so I'm guessing I haven't ruined it entirely for you. So I'm very happy about that.
2: Well, I, I was too scared to listen to the guy to do <laughs> after that. So you still may get the late-night phone call from me. <laughs> okay. there, there's something missing to me with... The lyrics, of course, sting. I'm, oh, sting, I'm calling him sting now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> <nice joke. laughs> At least I'm not calling him Axel uh, Christ. Oh no! All right, um, so fish, we, we've talked about before, even if we don't always understand what he's saying, he's just so vivid and descriptive. It's just such a wonderful experience going through a song, hearing his lyrics. But there's just something I don't understand about this first song. The beginning, and please, guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I'm seeing Fish almost talking about himself on his deathbed, looking up is a hospital or some sort of ward. Then when we go into the acoustic part, it's almost like we change perspective, and there's a girl who might be his daughter, But then, then we get the, the ragged underpants guy. I don't get, I don't get that whole stanza. Uh, Like, I don't, it's like, I'm like, wait a minute, who's this guy? And what's going on? Because he, he paints such a vivid picture of what would be his deathbed. I'm thinking, okay, this is his final album. So maybe he's being perspective of like, you know, what it would be like to, to look up and, you know, see people looking down at you and then helping you out. And, and And all these things that he describes, maybe I'm just completely missing this whole thing, and this is this song isn't about any of this. So what's I, your I, thoughts I, <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: this this is one of those things where it it may have we may have benefited from more time, because I have exactly the same problem you have, Tom. It seems in the beginning for the first two-thirds of the song to make a whole lot of sense it some some person is under some what appears to be some sort of a surgical or medical condition on the verge of death whether that's caused by an accident or something else who knows and and then there's this daughter who's concerned about whether she's going to see him again and you know she's dealing with her own stuff i i don't know where the vampire thing comes in i mean it's is it possible
2: that he wrote a vampire song I I don't know. Well, the vampire I can almost get because maybe he's, you know, it's a lot of people's fantasy to be a vampire. You live forever, right? Maybe he's saying, gosh, I wish I had more time to do the things I wanted to do. And, you know, so I kind of can see where the vampire maybe would come in. I just don't know who this other person is. And it makes me question my whole concept of the song. Being that this this other person is in there, and it's just like not really fitting in what to what I understand the song to be. So let's uh, let's let's look at that
0: and that stanza.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He shuffles past, belly sagging, his underpants gray and ragged, dull mind in a dull cage. You know that he's seen better days. He sucks deep on his nebulizer, eyes closed in a moment's peace his chest racks his lungs exploding coughing like a drowning man guilty eyes and steady fingers from the strands of shredded leaves in a bed bleached of bleached white paper a moist
1: tongue a moist tongue seals his, seals his, his fate. fate
0: he rolls up his habits rations sucking up the coffin's nails He lights under weeping birches, he shelters from the drizzling rain, amputees in growing wheelchairs, close circled to deny the growing pain. I Gnawing pain. Gnawing pain. Sorry. My old man eyes can't read this little booklet.
2: So, Joe, now, what about this? Because when we get to this section, we switch perspectives, right? Yeah now we're 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 talking about the girl looking down at this person in the first part of the song he he was he was the person because we switch and we were talking about the the girl looking down at this person that un- the ragged underpants guy could be him yeah, it could be maybe in his darkest hour he's saying, "Wow, this is what somebody's going to be." looking at and thinking about when they see me or this is just a story of someone that's not fish, you know, just a another another person. So don't know. Right. Okay. I mean the ride is great. And the, the ride is great. I, I don't am...
0: care what the song's about, honestly.
1: I love it. It's not in E minor, it's in C minor. <laughs> it's 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 an amazing key. The saddest of keys. It's it's it, it's absolutely just stunning. You need a minor key drone song to start any prog album, especially a Fish album, and this fits the bill. But it's just so exquisitely crafted. I honestly like the words when I when they go by. I have no idea what it's about either, but um, it just sounds all right. It checks all the boxes and it touches all the all the buttons.
0: Man with a Stick. Now, I guess there was some sort of an EP release a couple years before Veltra came out. Man with a Stick was on there, Waverly Steps, and there was a third one, I think. So this was maybe not something as new as I would have thought. This is one of those songs, I'm very conflicted about this song, because I think I don't like it, but I really enjoy it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The synth is almost New Wave. I mean it's it's definitely not blatantly prog or anything. It's you know it, it, this is all neo. Is it
2: safe to say that this album falls kind of under that
1: neo slightly retro prog? I think so. Thing.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one of my notes on the song is I really love the keyboard sound um when we go when we go into these instrumentals and I was going to say if it is 80s it's a very natural sounding synth that it doesn't have a lot of gimmicky stuff this is a synth that sounds familiar to us from the early 80s and it and it and it feels really good i'll buy that yeah it does you,
0: it I, does feel really good
1: it came in the early 80s sound pack right <laughs> synth number 1 <laughs> well, it's fantastic
2: yeah so apparently joe he did release this wasn't sure that it was going to be a double album at first. And so they were writing it and then at some point they realized oh my gosh, we have a lot of stuff here and we're going to do a double album. And there were I think other commitments from people in the band and there were they had to take some time off. So they said let's just release what we have as like a teaser. I love what they did with sticks because it, they don't use it as a gimmick it's like they really incorporate it in the song yeah and it's really easy just to do something quick and dirty with the stick and and connect it with man with a stick but i mean this is again i'm gonna use that word again uh organic it really goes with the whole sound of the album shalala
1: a shalala is a wooden walking stick and club or cudgel, typically made from a stout, knotty black thorn stick with a large knob at the top. It, it just looks very Scottish. We should have a game where you have to drink whenever we read something that sounds like the name of a whiskey or a malt. <laughs> but <laughs> a knob, Kiri and bloodied shalala and calloused hands take the lion's down. I mean, lion's down could be a whiskey. Pick axe half. And hickory truncheons. Like, who would not buy hickory truncheons? I would. Oh, buy what you truncheons. want there, laddie? I'll take the hickory truncheons. You know what I mean? It's cracking, <laughs> cracking the skulls on the picket lines. Skulls on the picket lines. That, see, that could be one right there. Skulls on the picket lines. I would buy that. Bamboo staffs and jam box switches, cudgels, bludgeoning hearts and minds. I mean, so many good words here. Clearing the streets of burning townships, scattering crowds from a city square. Hurting the cues of the weak and the weary, testing the will of the few who dare face the man with a stick. Brilliant. So
0: one thing that that I think pops up here uh, several times, I'm not going to say often, or maybe it is often, I don't know, is soundtrack dissonance. I don't think this is the most, dramatic example of that, because there's something slightly unsettling about this song, even though it has this sort of fun groove to it, that certainly coincides with, with the lyrics. There's one fun lyric that I have to draw attention to, just because it's progressive palaver, and that is, The pencil scratches on an empty page, a pointer wraps on a cloudy blackboard. A cane taps time on an outstretched palm, learning the lessons, reciting the mantra. Woohoo! Oh, nice! Good catch.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, I heard that word mantra and my little ears perked up. I was all excited. Intellectually, I don't know that it's the, the best song on this record, but it's one I really enjoy listening to and to carry on a bit that we've been having for weeks at this point. I'd rather listen to this than Big Wedge. <laughs>
1: Oh, no. For the months that we've been covering his material, I've been trying to telegraph to Fish. You know, re- reciting the same thing four times does not a chorus make. <laughs> um, I think he nailed it with this album. He's, he's become more of the poet and less of the, I don't know, stock song creator.
2: Oh, 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 oh. oh, oh I, well, I mean, I mean, come on. Song um, creator? Oh, <laughs> my God. I mean I take issue to that. <laughs> he he was he, he
1: he he was short on time, he was on a budget. He he paid Stephen Wilson to lay down a bunch of chords. He used whatever Stephen laid down. No dynamics or changes or alterations, he sang over top of it and he repeated a bunch of things four times and it it paid the bills and it got him out on the road and he carried on a wonderful career. But at this point he's realized that he can tailor that in, into an art with, with more personality and more
2: and less repetition. I think he's we're not... obviously hearing different things, but I'll, I'll let it go. That.
0: <laughs> Moving on to walking on eggshells. This is Joe music right here. This is what I like. It's dark. It's creepy. It's disturbing. It's, uh, potentially unhealthy and I just lap it up (laughs) with a spoon, man. I've picked up on something over the last week or so, really listening to this album a lot. And I'm not suggesting that it's the case. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying this is what Fish did, but I've convinced myself that in some parts of this record, I hear echoes of things from long past. And I've sort of romanticized it into, if this is really Fish's last album, it's almost like the reunion show. And Fish is is tidying up the stories and going back in and telling us, you know, in certain cases, you know, what happened to these people. Again, I'm not saying that's actually the case. I'm just saying... I've convinced myself, and it's a fun little way for me to interpret this record. For me, this track, it echoes Punch and Judy dramatically. It looks at the idea of the circular machinations of a toxic relationship in a much more adult fashion than than anything off of Fugazi ever did, which was just pure raw emotion and anger... And, and this, is, this is a lot more subtle Maybe a lot more holistic at the look It's still just a terrible, terrible story The way it's done, I just really react to it
1: I only have one response Punch, punch, punch Joe, that was awesome Lyrics are particularly good I had no idea And this couple really scares the shit out of me Right, it's terrible and and what really makes it so terrible is that that
0: middle part where they work so hard to put it all back together again and then oh where's where's the line when it falls apart again there's something about where a word trips out of place a careless detonation oh it's like you do all this work and you put all this back together and one word comes out incorrectly, and you're right back into the circle. And it just, it's terrible. Oh, it's, it's so sad. Ken, before we were on air, you actually played the riff from the next song, The Party's Over. Now, I love this song musically and lyrically. I think musically, it is just a blast to listen to, Ken. Ken. You indicated that it's a blast to play. Hell yeah. And I believe you 100%. And I think this is one of the songs that initially I would be willing to sort of downplay the importance of it. Cause it, it, it is just, it sounds so happy. But the sonic dissonance here is the fact that he's calling out all this terrible stuff that's going on in a song that sounds really happy and wonderful. Is this calling out the whole climate thing is that what this is about shit's about to hit the fan and you know no more bullshitting about
1: this oh there are so many things you could apply this to but i would say that this is his salisbury hill but it's his career ending salisbury hill it's just it's just a a, a nice little romp a nice little dance a stumper. (laughs) that, that you can just really shake your mug to. And I'm sure you can go in all sorts of directions with social or political connotations, but it does seem to be him. I'm sick of hearing you just want to party. I'm tired of hearing the same old song. Where did it all go wrong? The primary driver seems to be him not wanting to tour the rest of his life.
2: I think Fish is in his comfort zone here. You touched upon this a little bit, Joe. It's very dark, but it's beautiful, and that's really what uh, clutching of straws is. I, I, I think this is almost a, a bit of a homage, if you will, to, 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 to clutching, and it's the, his safe place. We're talking about booze, and you know we're talking about bars, and we're talking about a darker side of things. And he goes down this road quite often, and kind of a, a Charles Bukowski with music. What's fun about this is it's nice that he gives us some of what we have loved in the past and giving us something lyrically similar to, to clutching, but going musically in a, in a more upbeat direction. Yeah. And I, it's a
0: nice change. That takes us into Rose of Damascus, which uh, translates, by the way, of City of Jasmine. Rose of Damascus is another song. It's, it's a, it's a lengthy one, if I recall correctly. It is 1545. It's a, it's a sprawling piece. Musically, there are some really great moments, but it wasn't until I sat down with the lyrics and followed along that I was just blown away by the images that his words create here. Quite frankly, it's a stunning story and it was way more than I was really, really anticipating. From the very beginning, the, the very first notes of the introduction are absolutely beautiful. And you have the big flourish. The first time he says Rose of Damascus, which makes a lot of sense. It feels right. Then it moves into the, the section where she's in the car and, you know, you have this feeling of motion. Not exactly, but sort of in the way that, you know, the, the car chase in Red Barchetta, right? Musically, you feel like you're moving. And so you have this certainly here. And, and in that, in that section where she's in the car, there's something very surface tension about that. And I was going to say there was something specifically Ken about that section, but I don't, I, I just was never really able to coalesce that thought. It's just something that came in. It goes into the spoken word part. He uses the line, desiccated head, and it, it reminds me of the slowly rotating heads from Jungle Ride. Um, again, different sort of thing, but actually not too terribly different because they're both dealing with aspects of war. And then that section, just before she came to, she came to in the rubble, the debris of her memories in a broken world she couldn't recognize. Just before that, that section, it has sort of a Pink Floydy Hey You type feel, which is I mean, th- there's so many places this song goes. And it's amazing how there's so many of them. And and if you follow the story along, everything that happens to this girl and when she finds the roses and she's trying to to preserve those stems as she and and then the whole story about her you know going out into the into the ocean and getting on this overcrowded boat so she can go somewhere else it's absolutely amazing and and the very last stanza in this she stares out into the night toward the dark sea that disappears into the horizon her past slips into the distance behind her as she nurses the slender waxed cotton bundle that holds her treasured stems her roots her legacy her destiny And so everything, this entire story, gets tied up in the title, The Rose of Damascus. It's just, uh, I'm just, it scrambled my brain. And something that was already enjoyable became something that was almost transcendent.
2: It is overwhelming. And there there is so much going on in this song. This is a very potent Fifteen minutes, Mm. musically, lyrically, uh, this is my favorite song on the album. This is a real achievement. Going from section to section, Fish really did a good job bringing these people back. He really has a band. It's very evident that these are not hired guns, and you know he might be in charge, but you know this is this is a band. We we talked about on sunsets, sunsets on Empire. There were a number of places where he does the spoken word thing, and Joe, you and I go goo goo and go I love it, for this. <laughs> man. When he does that in this song, it's just as good as it ever was. It's so I mean, good. <laughs> oh, oh God, I just I'm just a sucker for this. Again, I mean, he could almost be reading the alphabet, but like I'm just like, but. Such beautiful poetry, and what's going on in the background, and the production, and the, and what the players are doing—all these parts really flow. It makes me not just reminisce of early Marillion, but it also, it, it, I think, is on the level of something you know musically that you would hear Marillion do you know later. Sometimes we don't get that because, again, like I said said before, he's he's sort of all over the place, and we don't get a chance to really stay in one place. Now we're finally, we've, we've gotten to this place and we're sticking to this one sound and this song is everything you want it to be. I was surprised, Joe, the other day that you brought up Waverly Steps. And I like that song too, but this song is like mind-blowing. It takes me to that same place that it, it, it takes me on Feast of Consequences. And it's like the the one point, on the album that's not to say that there aren't other great moments but it just takes me to that top tier level of just oh i'm in heaven
0: i'm completely just in love with waverly place or waverly steps i just think it's absolutely brilliant so we're not even
1: there yet but yes it is
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> allow me to entertain with the fantastic scotch whiskey names in, in, I mean, I mean, Rose of Damascus itself is a Scotch whiskey name waiting to happen. But w- w- within this, wood smoke lingers in the patchy thorns. Panicking hair. I think that would sell really well. Panicking <laughs> I'm, hair.
0: I am not going to drink panicking
1: hair. <laughs> <laughs> Another one that I really liked was unaware of her destiny. Yeah. Her label. Label would be really foreboding for that one. Colorless men under colorless skies. I think would be a very clear whiskey. Um, fly blown square. I think, I think that would sell very well. Interminable onslaught might give you second (laughs) thoughts in the morning. (laughs) Oh, God. And you may also experience a hangover from twisted concrete skeletons. That, that, that one's a doozy. If you've ever had a sip of that. And then my favorite temporary reassurance that, that is most scotch whiskey offering me temporary reassurance. Finally, prying eyes and guardian angels. Oh, there you go.
0: Rose of Damascus is much more than it originally appeared. Absolutely brilliant. Love it. And, and Tom, I, you know, I, I can't necessarily argue if if you want to put this in the top spot versus Waverly Steps, but I get it.
2: You know, this song, I've always I had this idea, and you know, Ken's probably going to shit himself when I recommend this. But I always had this idea of a couple of years from now, going back. To the fish catalog. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even say it without laughing. <laughs> Ken, Ken Ken's gonna have a heart attack. A couple of years from now, I always imagine it'd be cool to like go back to the fish catalog and just talk about all the songs, but just the lyrics. Sort of like have like a special edition where we would do a couple albums. We we wouldn't do them all, but we would just take the songs. And really concentrate on the lyrics, because sometimes I feel that we go over so much. There's so much going on here that we just can't possibly uh, get it all out. Yeah. And there's the lyrics really deserve its own pass.
1: Yeah. Tom, I'm busy that day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Day. Day. No, Ken. That uh, that 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 month that season. <laughs> 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 a
1: new palaver season. All right, we'll see. Sounds like a challenge. So we can now switch out the discs and move
0: to Garden of Remembrance. Now, Ken, you had actually brought up Garden of Remembrance because your streaming service played it after Peter Gabriel's Up, I think.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: it it went right from a Peter Gabriel album into
1: garden of remembrance. And, and you had sort of pointed that out. We joke about autoplay, but it's nice when autoplay gets it right and gives me something that I find very appropriate at the moment. So and that's a good example.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just, it struck, it struck me right. And garden of remembrance, since it's, it's the first song on disc two, it was one of the ones that I've been more familiar with. And listening to it, again, I always enjoyed and appreciated it, but I don't know that I gave it, you know, a whole lot of credit. thought it was, yeah, it was a nice, pretty song. Isn't that great? But two things happened to me recently with regards to Garden of Remembrance. One was this you know concept that i told you i i've sort of stumbled upon where you know i'm hearing these echoes of of things from fish past and i started to get that feel from this record or from this track back to one of our all-time favorites from our first fish episode a gentleman's excuse me hmm. And then I started reading the lyrics, and it occurred to me that this, to me, and tell me if you guys see it this way, but when I read these lyrics, I look at these lyrics, I listen to this song, this reads to me like a couple where the man has Alzheimer's and doesn't know who the woman is who comes to see him all the time. And there's some tenuous connection that he can never quite close and what really moves me about that when I think about you know that sort of interpretation is the chorus he's lost between the here and now somewhere that he can't be found she's still here her love a ghost of memory she'll wait for an eternity he's still here and it's that idea that they're together and they're connected but they're totally separate and when i when i sort of viewed it that way and again connected it back to a gentleman's excuse me it's like you know this is the ultimate end of the happy ending right this and regardless of whether it's it's an echo of, of a gentleman's excuse me or not, I think the, the Alzheimer's thing rings true for me. And it's just a it's a beautifully painful and poignant representation of that situation. And I think this is a case where, it you know, if that's really what's going on, Fish has used his words with absolute precision and delicacy in a way that just blows, you know, virtually every other lyricist out of the water.
2: I have to say when I first heard this song, there, there's, there's a video for it. We have been so used to songs like The Gentleman's, excuse me. There's been some of the most beautiful ballads I've ever heard on the fish catalog. And I sort of got spoiled. When I heard this song, I was like it's it, it scaled down it's very tasteful and I sort of got used to the the bigger grandeur right more of the the female vocalist coming in and the the bigger um, orchestration and there's there's I was kind of expecting to be a build on the song and like I, I, again. My expectations sort of got the best of me. I sort of had an, a somewhat negative first reaction to the song. But it is wonderful that, you know, he can give us something scaled back and take us to another place, even if it is simpler, because it's a, this is a beautiful melody. This is a beautiful song. If you don't need all the bells and whistles, you shouldn't put it in. One of my notes on this song is it actually works really well after the sort of, Jurassic beast of of Rose of Damascus. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's man. like you almost have to have something simple. You know, e- even if you have to swap the, the CD or swap the, the record. It, it actually still is a nice change. It's like that breath you need. I've never been a video person. I I really don't like music videos. But it was nice to see this video. It was very clean. There wasn't a lot of craziness there's a loneliness. Um, he's in big spaces in yeah. this video, it's like museums or there's like a really big space and you feel the loneliness and you sort of feel the simplicity of the song. This is a nice place to go after after Rosa Damascus. So, um, um, I'm loving it. You know, it's fascinating. I'm looking at fish music
1: Do you guys have CDs by any chance? Yes. Okay. What I see on his website was a different order, this being the third track on CD2.
0: Really? No, it's, it's track one. It's number six. It goes Garden of Remembrance, Sea Song, Little Man, What Now, Waverly Steps, and then Belchmerz.
1: Interesting. Yeah, uh, CD2 would have been This Party's Over, Little Man, What Now, Garden of Remembrance, Waverly Steps, Belchmerz. Weird.
2: Well, yes. actually, um, he did that with piece of consequences too. the The LP order is different from the CD order. Fascinating.
0: Well, now so I really I, well, have to listen to the LP.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I need to know who Mitchell is because "Garden of Remembrance" was written by Dick and Mitchell. Strikingly different from the rest of the Vances, Bolt, Patterson. Crew. Since it's just voice and piano, I would assume Mitchell is an accomplished pianist.
0: Oh, John Mitchell. John Mitchell. John Mitchell actually plays guitars on Grace of God, Walking on Eggshells, This Party's Over, Rose of Damascus, and Weltschmerz. And he plays acoustic guitar on <laughs> This Party's Over, Rose of Damascus, and Waverly Steps. He's not listed as doing anything on, oh, because it's not John Mitchell, it's C. Mitchell. I don't know who C. Mitchell is. But there is a John Mitchell. John Mitchell plays guitar on most of the record, but but Garden of Remembrance was written with C. Mitchell.
2: Really?
1: Yeah. Who is this Brilliant. C. Mitchell. Wow.
0: I don't know. It's a mystery. So if anyone out there in Palaverland knows who the magical C. Mitchell is, please tell us, because we do not know. We're
1: stuck. <laughs> we are stuck. Oh, what a gorgeous song. Alright, where do we go from here? We go to Sea Song, the
0: Trondheim Waltz. This song draws you in from the opening note. It's just so freaking fun and beautiful and relaxed and groovy. But if you read this song, this is, this is what I was talking about earlier, where it seems on the surface, it seems like this person is just sort of taking a day off from everyday worries. But I think there's something more going on. And when we talk about connections back to the past the question that i have is this the echo and the ending of of torch is this is this how torch ends his days assuming he makes it past 30 Um, you know it's little things about this that that get me you know so here uh, and it's it's more prevalent on this second disc where fish starts using much more of the extra instrumentation i think so you get, you know, what sounds like a very European or British sound here. So when he sings, until then I'll dance the Fandango, and those castanets come in, I'm just like, fuck it eh right, Bubba. I just, I love it. I, I find this song to just be enjoyable, but it makes me a little edgy if I think about the lyrics too much.
1: Well, I submit that this should be a, a jam song for us. We could play this in a coffee shop, and they would think it was a traditional <laughs> jig they would it it has that feel to it
0: <laughs> It seems decidedly natural that it should be that way, right mm-hmm. I don't know that I would want to listen to a whole album like this, but for you know the the four minutes and and change that it goes on, I absolutely love it.
2: there is a sound that I'm loving on these last albums. And even though I'm not in love with the song, and even though, you know, the the song doesn't have the highs that some of the other ones do, this is just such a nice ride. And you're just, you're brought in with the warmth. And again, like fish will just say that, that lyric that just makes you think about, you know, something. It may not even be what he intended but it's just good music. It's, it means something different from from one person to another. But I think that this song has a lot of the openness and a lot of the interpretation, and, and, and it sort of asks you to participate a little bit differently than some of the other songs. I kind of love this and you know, Little Man, What Now, almost together because they're, they're similar. I would say it's a little indulgent to have both these songs are on on the record. But Indulgence is good. <laughs> 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 indulgence, indulgence works.
0: So we haven't really talked about the artwork on this record yet. It's phenomenal, as you can imagine. And I will point out, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's, much like 13 Star, there's sort of an alternate cover, which is mm-hmm. exceptionally... You know, that's on the inside. It's exceptionally powerful in a completely different way from the one that's on the outside. But there's this, there's this picture, and I don't know if you, can, if you can really see it, of Fish. What appears to be him sitting on a couch in the sun wearing a robe, which, you know, <laughs> there, there's a certain sort of, you know, grumpy old man aspect to him. That just, it, it's funny they put that picture under these lyrics. Now, Tom, you've already taken us into Oh, little, I thought oh. you were
1: going to credit Wilkinson. What's his name? Uh, Mark Wilkinson. Yeah, he does a lot of this.
0: He actually didn't take that particular picture. Um, that particular picture is credited to... Where is it?
1: Where is it? Oh, but he would have done that sneaky alternate cover, right? Yeah,
0: he did. he did the sneaky alternate cover. He did most of the illustrations
2: in this. Yeah, I would really love to talk to him
0: yeah we need to make that happen, so Simone Dick is credited with the picture of fish in the bathroom, so there we go. must be a home candid shot. The amount of artwork that that Mark Wilkinson produces for these albums, the reissues it's just staggering, and that 's why we need to talk to him.
1: I was just going to say, as if fish on Fridays wasn't candid enough. <laughs>
0: I'll never forget the one I I tuned into and like literally he spent 30 minutes talking about his wood-burning stove. It was amazing.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Candid. Mm. Shall
0: we, Little Man? Let's, yeah. So Little Man, what now? Tom, you're, you don't seem to be totally on board with this. I actually kind of love this song. I find it to be, the, it, it has this really big, expansive vibe to it. It. Kind of breeze a little bit It has at times a Gilmore era Pink Floyd thing But what really gets me The the first note I have on this is Rose Arcana Which was the instrumental uh, song on the Arcadia record And so that's, I was like, oh, that's really freaking cool there are a couple of lyrics here that, that really sort of resonate with me. I mean, I, I don't jump up and down necessarily when I'm listening to this song, mainly because I'm waiting for it to end so I can get to Waverly Steps. But there's this one line relatively early on, the truths that were too difficult became such easy lies. Oh, God, I love that sort of expression of the slippery slope, right? It's, it's absolutely stunning. He makes reference to the creeping hotweed, and I wonder if that's any way related to a giant hogsweed, so we have to ask ourselves that question. For whatever else you want to talk about this particular record, I think this is a shiny example of that layering production As you listen to this, there's a whole lot of things that are sort of going on, and they have all the pieces sort of lined up just so, and I think it's very well done for a lot of stuff going on. At the end of it, when it goes from the sax solo into the guitar solo, and just, like I said, it just, it seems very expansive, even though the lyric itself feels a little claustrophobic. It's, I I don't know, there's something about this song that I kind of dig.
1: So what is... Little man, what now about to you guys? I haven't fully formed my opinion of this.
0: My working hypothesis is that this is different aspects of choices that people must make when faced with a certain crossroad. You have a difficult decision. What are you going to do about it? Again, I'm not suggesting it's, it's a direct parallel, but I can't help myself. Given the similarities, and Tom, you already brought up Toad the Wet Sprocket, Little Man, Big Man. And Little Man, Big Man presents, in a very Toad way, what I perceive to be a very similar subject matter. You have choices in life, and you can do the right thing, or you can do the easy thing. And I think that's part of what's going on here. Now, in some cases... Little Man implies someone in a less powerful position, but in other places, I as I recall these lyrics, it has the potential of someone who has all the agency and has to make the quote-unquote correct choice. Just one little musical note, like the second time they go into the tangled up, tangled down section, they really ramp everything up. It's at that point that everything kind of goes batshit crazy. This is a favorite little trick of that fish has sort of developed, or I guess maybe this band has developed of sort of giving you the vanilla version the first time through. And then the second time you get back to a section, just kind of letting it, letting it rip. Nice. We can go on to Waverly steps. Now, again, I have, you know, I have on multiple occasions in the fish catalog expressed a certain amount of frustration. Over fish's use of horns, and I don't generally care for it. But oh my God, this song is just like the perfect manifestation of everything that late model fish has become. And I think part of the reason, Tom, why I'm, I'm fixated on this is I, I've sort of become attached to this idea of Waverly steps and into Velchmer's being the fish crescendo. This is the end. I'm just so enamored with this. This is the big prog number at the end of of the show before he closes things out with with and and that's that's a completely romanticized construction and I understand that. But for whatever reason I just want to roll around in the beauty that is this song. And, and and I don't (laughs) even know that I can, I can express it in, in even my normally meager terms. I just freaking love this, this track.
2: Well, I couldn't agree with you more about the horns. Again, we are going to go back. We were talking about Pink Floyd, Adam Hart, mother. Yeah. Uh, Really. There are points on that album where there's just the greatest horn stuff and just the greatest melodies. I am moved by these horn sections, and there's a number of them on the, on this album. They're not just sort of solos. They are yeah. real interludes with, with melodies and places that you would go with a lead vocal melody or something that's recurring. It's really nicely done, and I, it sort of earns the name Prague done done right what's interesting about this song most of the song is like a one verse yeah it's like 13 minutes of verses. yeah it's very linear and you're going with it and you're sort of in that place and he keeps going and he keeps going and you're still there you're still enjoying it and he keeps going and he keeps going and you're like i'm loving every second of what's going on here
0: you know when you're sitting here describing that tom i i was i was called back to the Dave Kurzner principle. If it's cooking, let it cook. And I think that's what he does here. Nice. Shout out to friend of the plumber, Dave Kurzner.
1: <laughs> 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 I don't know that he's ever said anything about fish or Merillion. I don't know that he has.
0: The Kurzner principle was not uttered in, in that context either, but I do vividly remember him saying that to us.
1: Your point is, is well taken. Waverly Steps cooks, and it cooks for an entire 13 minutes and 48 seconds. It's really awesome. I just want to know, what is the black dog? It appears with the woman. It pops up around the corner. In the end, it's side by side with the man. What is this metaphor?
0: You know, and this could be one of those, dare I say, Britishisms that we don't know about. I I, I say that because there's a whole big thing in one of the Harry Potter books about the black dog being an omen of death. And there's this whole big thing about, you know, people seeing this black dog and it turns out to be something entirely different. But I wonder if it's not something in the, the, the cultural lexicon that we just don't necessarily aren't familiar with. And so we miss that reference a little bit. Again, if any of our listeners are from the UK and understand this, you know, please let us know. But that would be my guess. It's probably just, you know, some sort of harbinger of, of ill fate.
1: You know, it could be a metaphor for depression if Google is in it is any value. OK, or that the history of black dog as a metaphor by Joshua Panduro. All right well i mean i mean okay throw in depression and i mean throw in yeah i guess there is some history of the black dog as a metaphor
0: and that takes us to the end Weltschmerz. i view veltschmerz literally and, and i'm not i'm not you know being n- intentionally over the top i really just view it as a complete mic drop. It's just, in some ways, it's the perfect way to end all of this. We have been with Fish through all sorts of trials and tribulations. As a young man, he has tried to look outward and always ends up falling in on himself as his world collapses in multiple times and and he processes, everything with us and, and everything else. And along the way, he keeps trying to, to turn back out and, and see and recognize and, and heal the hurts of the world. And at this point, I think he's gotten, you know, you get to a point in your life where you realize there are certain things you're not going to change. And you have to make a conscious decision as to whether or not you're going to continue to try to change them. Are you going to spend your own energy trying to do that? Someone like Roger Waters, for instance, very much says, yes, I'm going to spend every last ounce of energy and breath I have trying to change those. I think at this point, I view this almost as as fish saying, look, this is fucked up. Things are not going well. Good luck with that, because I'm kind of out of the game at this point. And what I find so fascinating about this song is when he goes into the chorus and you get those dissonant chords that come in and just literally make you feel unsettled. It's it's creepy as fuck and brilliant at the same time. Like I said, in in some ways... I almost hope that Fish never does anything else because I think this is such a just picture-perfect way to to finish it off and walk off stage.
2: I kind of half disagree with you that I, I hope it's not his last one, but <laughs> if it is, I, I get that. It, is, it was it's so well done. Um, just you know the meaning of the word, the song itself, the lyrics bringing it home, if you will. It's nice to have this song in a bit of a short form. I just feel that we don't need to go into a whole long 15 minute thing. It would be tempting probably to do that. Uh, he hits the points. He's very potent. He actually has the great chorus and he ends it with a punch in the stomach. And then the mic drop, as you say, Joe, and I, I think this is a very strong way to end an album. And I'm grateful for the fact, you know, you can't help but be a little fatigued up to this point. I mean, he's given us a lot, you know, and we are going through quite a bit of music. This is a great way to end this album.
0: And all that being said, I mean, it's a six minute and 51 second song. It's not short, but it it is the right length. I agree with you, Tom. That's a great observation with regards to this and and yeah i mean he could have you know made it into a a 10 15 minute bombast but he makes his point and he's done it's brilliant
1: joe a slightly optimistic spin on what you said the fight isn't over this war still has to be won on an unlevel playing field the conflicts rage on Stand up to be counted. Stand up to be heard. Stand up at the barricades. Stand up for your world. Well, that's kind of optimistic. Although we all know how the barricades worked out in Les Mis. <laughs> Not well for anybody. <laughs> no, no.
0: But but I think you know I I think it's it's in in that regards it's it's a call to arms, right? I I don't think. Fish is that interested in carrying this banner anymore. He's saying, look, you got you got to do this. I can't. I'm done. I've done what I can. That's how I see it.
1: Okay. I did get a little Uzis on the Corner reference at the end. He says, the shells of cathedrals yelling grass, plum dark tornadoes, fluttering flags, cues at the fu- food banks, raging typhoons, gangs on the corner, the shadows that groom, the fading of dahlias, the forest of fire, the walls in the desert. Right. The rapture, the rapture is near. Damn it.
0: Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's the way he ends this thing. And, and, and that's, you know, spoken as all the music's fading out. He says, the rapture is here. Not that it's near, it's here right now. Deal with it, folks. Oh, wow. But it, it's, it's, it's things like that, right? So gangs on a street corner or whatever it was that you said that, that street corner, that's what, takes you back to white russian, right? Which again, yeah. Yeah. Here's another one of those, you know, echoes from the past, which is fascinating. I'm not in any way suggesting that Fish is doing this on purpose. I'm more willing to accept that I'm projecting this onto this record because I'm just that weird, but it it works for me. So, I'm going to go with it. We've reached the end of the Fish solo catalog. It's been, it's been, like I said, quite the journey, eye opening. We have been threatening for weeks that we have to do a, a force ranking fish albums episode. I don't want to do it anymore. I, I looked at the list today as I I was just going like, Oh, I'll just do a first pass and see. I I don't want to make those distinctions. I don't want to make those choices. I'm out.
1: I'm done. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I gave fish a hard time. More than anybody in this podcast. And and it really only comes down to... Th- there were just places in internal exile uh, and suits and sunsets where, where I got bored. Am I, am I crazy? I mean, am I disrespectful? Am I,
2: Do I need to go back? I actually kind of agreed with you where a lot of the stuff on suits was verse chorus. And he, he kind of, you know, strayed away from some of the prog stuff. It was simpler, but I don't always see things as being good or bad as opposed to how how simple things are. I, I don't know if I was ever bored. You know, some of us are gonna like certain things more than others. So I mean I think we're always gonna find that in any band that we talk about. It's hard. I kind of I agree with you, Joe. It it's very difficult to 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 rank these. Um, I think I would have fun trying. I mean, I still wouldn't mind doing it. So, Mm. um, we'll, we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Well, for the positive tip, I mean, I I think rain gods with Zippo's Fellini days, wealth's merch, Feast of consequences. I think, you know, they won me over.
0: You know, for, for me, hands down, Fellini days was the surprise of this catalog. I, it wasn't anything I knew of visually. It wasn't appealing to me when I saw it. And and it, it has that sort of weird production quality to it. It sounds a little odd, but once you kind of get past all of that, and and again, for me, it was sort of understanding some of the stories and what brought that album about it's, it's really quite compelling. And and that was not anything I ever would have expected. You know, the, the one thing I feel confident on is the, the bottom two on that list. If I had to, those, I, I know what those are. That's easy. It's not, I'm not even going to break a sweat over that, but the rest of it, like, you know, I honest to goodness, when I started thinking about where I would slot in Feast of Consequences, I had a bit of an aneurysm. I'm like, I can't do this. It's just too mm. hard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> when we're talking about bands that we love, we have to realize that even the ones that are on the bottom of the list are still good. Yeah, well, and,
0: and exactly. And, and, and that's kind of what I, you know, I, I sort of soothed my own psyche with that very thought. In that, with the yeah. exception of these bottom two, the rest of the and even those bottom two, you know, I mean, again, I, I would rather listen to to those than a lot of other stuff I could think
1: of. But um, Tom, two words: zoo class. <laughs>
2: <The> zoo class. <laughs> All right.
0: Oh my goodness. That's too funny. Uh, no. I love it. All right. It has been quite the journey. And so Ken, you know, we still have one more episode, at least one more episode of Peter Gabriel to talk about, but we've already covered all the original the entire original Peter Gabriel catalog at this point. So let me before we before we, you know, exit here, let me ask you the question. Were you satisfied with the parallel Peter Gabriel fish track that we set up? Or was it really just an elaborate ruse to get you out of talking
1: about fish? (laughs) So much of both. (laughs) The perfect elaborate ruse. Um, I wasn't familiar with the fish catalog. Didn't know where I would be on board and where I would not. But mostly it gave Tom a chance to really shine with fish as as originally intended and for listeners of the palaver who don't necessarily follow fish well they damn well at some point in their lives have followed peter gabriel so i i thought it would make this all that more accessible
0: i think we are serving an unmet need of a portion of the population
1: now, I've named several Scotch whiskeys.
0: You have named several Scotch whiskeys. So Ken, I recommend you do whatever needs to be done to trademark those names <laughs> and uh, immediately. <laughs> we've got we've got several weeks before this episode will go out. So you've got <laughs> you've got plenty of time to, to to get those all locked up from a legal perspective and uh, you know, start whatever negotiations you have to. <laughs> As we've been teasing for several weeks now, and I think we'll finally be able to get to it, our next small to mid-sized segment, we finally, after all these years, and we've been doing this now for four years, we've been doing this, which boggles my mind, we finally get to talk about Queens rank
2: Oh,
0: <laughs> And I'm so, I'm so, so excited. I I personally really enjoyed covering both Fish and Peter Gabriel in parallel. I thought it was fascinating. Um, You know, we had a little palaver field trip along the way to the Rothko Chapel to talk about 14 black paintings. We've had some great experiences and, you know, that's what that's what the podcast is all about. So thanks, guys, and look forward to moving on to the, the next segment. episode of progressive palaver we've as always enjoyed sharing the conversation with you we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on instagram facebook or twitter we are at Prague on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is Prague pala that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.
1: Okay, I just happened to 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 pull up a uh, a little Okay, okay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. All right. That's what editing is for. Absolutely.